Blog Talk Radio. Facebook, 
That's why you see it consistently being posted every morning at the same time. It's automated, you know, so it's not me putting it out there. But, guys, you know, subscribe to the paper. The paper is really, really good. So I would encourage you guys to subscribe for free. So on that note, let's talk about some announcements. Again, another reminder for you guys, October 11th and 12th is the Moving Social Justice Conference. So People of Color Beyond Faith is putting on its very first conference and is moving social justice. It's October 11th and 12th in Los Angeles, California. You can find the tickets on Eventbrite. So, again, just look up People of Color Beyond Faith. You'll see the registration is only $40. It's $25 if you're a student. In addition to that, Secular Student Alliance has grants, grants of $200 um, to help towards your um, traveling costs. So you can even apply for that on the Secular Student Alliance website. And I posted the links last week, well, this past week. I'll post it again directly after the show where you can apply for the grant or if you go over to the People of Color Beyond Faith Facebook page and go to the event, the Moving Social Justice event, the link is right there. It shows you where the grant is. Click the link and you apply. Just that easy. Uh, We want you to be there. We're trying to do everything that we can to make sure that, you know, you have whatever assistance that you need to get there. We want to see you. We want to talk to you. We enjoy you. And we want to, you know, allow you to share, allow you to hear what we have to say, but most definitely we want to hear what you have to say. Very important, and that ties in today's show. You know, the young people and the middle ground as well as the older people, you know, your voices are important. Very extremely important, but um you know, I just want to finish out the announcements for that. Um, give a shout-out to Compass 120, compass120.com, where you can get all of your heathen apparel. <laughs> so, guys, you can go on out there, compass120.com. Let's see here. Who else did I say I was going to promote? Um, you have Surly Amy, so you have Surly Ramix, S-U-R-L-Y-R-A-M-I-C-S.com. That's Surly Amy, and she puts together these really nice pendants. I picked one up, and um, they're really, really nice, guys. So, you know, you go out there and take a look. She supported our fundraiser for the People of Color Conference, so we just want to let her know how much we appreciate her and what she was what she's doing in the community as well as her assistance to us. As a matter of fact, last week um, I posted an article. She did an interview with Dr. Hutchinson. So that was on my wall. I'll go ahead and repost it today for those that missed it. I don't know how you all missed my post. I mean, it's posted everywhere. The application that I'm using um, asked me where to put things, and I already have a set of different places preset, and basically with the voice program that I use, um, I'll say click this, click this, click this, get that one in, and it just posts, you know, wherever I wanted to post because I have it preset. So I just said all of that to say this, that there is information out there. 
Um, please be cognizant of the information. You can always go back through my wall. I know some people say that my wall moves pretty fast. That's because we have a lot of information. If I posted everything that I get and that I see and that I actually read, you guys, <laughs> I think everybody will probably have me on hide on Facebook, but so much information so much information, and I just want to share it with you guys. Um, I think it's extremely important. Um, and, again, we are here to challenge you. But not only are we challenging you, this is also a challenge to myself. Understand, you know, we're bringing you information that we read or that we have read and are currently rereading, um, you know, information that we feel is important to you. And, yes, sometimes I post information that I don't agree with, and I know that you won't agree with it, but there's usually something in that article that I want you to see because we have these talks, um, these debates, these conversations with people all of the time, and I just think that it's extremely important for you to understand where the other person is coming from and for you to understand and you just, for you to see what they're reading and where they're getting this information from. Excuse me. That is the only way you will be able to produce a really rock solid counter argument. And so it's it's, it's interesting. Um, I'm just going to segue into the show title today, or the show um, um, what we're going to be talking about, which is leadership in the black community. And I see you read. Just give me a couple of minutes to um, kind of segue in. Um, basically. You all know I post all the time, you know, just kind of piggybacking off of that. And I post, you know, in a variety of different places. Like I said, it's all preset on this application. And sometimes I'll post in different groups just to see what the reaction will be, just to see if there's going to be any type of commentary, so on and so forth. And what's interesting is some of the responses that I get from our so-called allies, Um, some, not all, some progressive, liberal, white, secularist um, guys, you're supposed to be our allies. And there are some that are out there that attack the post. Well, why are you posting that? What are you hoping to accomplish with that post? I'm hoping that people will read it. You know, what are you trying to accomplish with, you know, that question? And then they start attacking the type of post, especially in the past two weeks, I've come up against quite a few trolls that are angry and upset because I'm posting consistently about Ferguson. Now, like I said last week, if I could have gone down to Ferguson, Missouri, I would have been there. And like I said, there are a number of reasons why I can't physically be there. But in the meantime, we've sent money, we've sent supplies. Um, I did it, did the best that I could. Um, And we need boots on the ground. And I'm sure there are some, you know, people that are part of the atheist secular community that were there 
you know, they're just not necessarily out or, you know, they don't know to respond to me, to email me. And the ones that were there, we appreciate you. And I've pointed the finger at the secular community, especially some of these mainstream secular organizations. And they consider this as mission drift, which I find quite interesting because this affects a certain percentage of this community. So, I mean, are you telling me that that percentage doesn't matter? Because if you are, again, the secular community is a direct mirror image of society at large. So if society is telling us that we don't matter, that our opinions don't matter, that, you know, us having rights and being treated as first-class citizens, you know, that doesn't matter, and then you're telling us the same thing in your actions, why should we support you? And I'm so serious, and especially with some of these so-called liberal progressive white secularists out here, and again, it's not all. I'm just talking to the few, you know, my special people. Um, Some of them actually will hurt us more than they will help us. Some of these are the same people that will tell us to wait. Some of these are some of the same people who will tell us to go home and, and, and let's, you know, deal with this according to the law, according to justice, let's take this up with the courts, with the lawmakers. And it has been proven time and time again that they do not recognize our voice. Where is our leadership? Because the leadership that we used to have, you know, I believe, you know, quite a few people are afraid to step in leadership positions because your name is dragged through the mud, your character is assassinated, and and, and let's just tell the truth, pretty soon your body will be assassinated too. You know, they shot and killed the majority of our leaders, put them in jail for, as you know, basically political prisoners, you know, and they did this publicly as an example. And it has scared quite a few people away. But we need leadership. I know someone is saying, well, why won't you all step into the position of leadership? We have, you know, but what we're dealing with is just a small microcosm. And there are people in this community that I definitely would like to push toward the front. Dr. Hutchinson. What she's doing with the Black Skeptics Group, what we're doing, because I'm a part of Black Skeptics Group, is groundbreaking. It really is. You know, we're actually going out into the community. We're out here. We went out for National HIV Testing Day. We've done a number of other um, social justice activities. We're all working on different homeless um, projects. We'll be back out there December 1st for World AIDS Day. Um, And and just a number of different things that we're putting together. Um, We need help. You know, it just can't be the same two or three people every time. And this is why we've expanded and we've opened it up to people that are considered religious or spiritual because, you know, we're not trying look, religious people are not the enemy. They're not my enemy. You know, my mother is still religious, my grandmother, my aunts, uncles, cousins, those are not my enemy. And no matter how you try to put it, I'll never see them that way. Yes, they upset me from time to time, but they are not the enemy. These people are not the enemy. I mean, we may not like the theology. We may not like um, some of the actions that some religious people condone. 
And we can always confront that. We can always protest that. But the person themselves is not the enemy. So when I start hearing people in the secular community talking about being in a war, being in the trenches, and all of this, and I'm like, what the hell is going on that I missed? Because I just don't quite see it that way. I, I don't see us being at war with the religious community. I really don't. And so you have people out here, and they're saying, where are the solutions? Where are the solutions? The solutions are working together, educating and informing one another. I've seen people change their stance on certain items. But, you know, we'll come back to that. And yesterday I posted a link, and it was talking about it being a time for a 21st century anti-lynching movement, which is true. Because what's happening to our young people, so it's not just young black males, but young black females as well. For those that aren't aware, black women are being jailed and criminalized at alarming rates. And this is what we're trying to to get you all to understand. They're being killed, too, young black females, middle-aged, older. Look at what happened with the cop that beat up that homeless woman. Look at what just happened with Renisha McBride, you know, know, and the guy went to jail, you know, because she was knocking on his door in the middle of the night, so he was standing his ground. So, I mean, guys, you know, it is time for a new movement, but not the same movement that they had in the 60s. We've progressed. Time has changed, just like we tell people who um, always profess that they believe in the Bible, and we always talk about how the Bible is stagnant and, you know, besides us not believing in it, but how the Bible has not changed, but society has changed. The same thing applies here. So we have to find different ways to have these movements. Yes, it's time for a new wave or a new phase of the civil rights movement, and you know, with what's been transpiring over the past few weeks, I really don't have a choice. I think I'm going to do my first part of the series next week. I'm going to do a three-part series on the civil rights movement. I'm going to take it all the way back to slavery, to W.E.B. Du Bois. That's the first part. The second part will be W.E.B. Du Bois to the Poor People's Campaign, which happened right after the assassination of Martin Luther King. And then the third part will pick up from the Poor People's Campaign until now and what's needed and where we need to go and what we need to do. So, again, um, you know, it's, it's a lot out here that we need to discuss, but I just couldn't understand why he got so upset about me posting that article about the 21st century anti-lynching movement. You know, it is needed. And he's like, what are you trying to accomplish? I'm trying to wake people up and attempting to get them to understand what's happening out here and why it's time for us to take a stand. And these are so-called progressive liberal whites that want us to sit back and say nothing. And so when you hear us talking about white privilege and white supremacy, what I want you all to understand, both black and white, is that there are some people that do not want to give up their privileges. They claim that they want to end white supremacy and they want to understand about, you know, their white privilege, and some of them get it. They really do. 
you know, and sometimes it turns into an oppression Olympics. Oh, I grew up poor, and, you know, and I'm seeing some of these comments, and, you know, those black people are just troublemakers. I grew up with them. I know how they are. Well, it's nice to know you've met every black person, you know, in the United States or every black person, you know, in the world. You know, I, I can only hope to aspire to that, you know, lofty goal there. But it's just interesting. And then I posted another article where it's called, quote, end quote, justifiable white violence in the history of the criminalization of blackness. Well, that really set him off into a tizzy. But the thing is, is that this is what has been happening to us. And, and it's been happening over and over. It's just that the playbook is the same. The scenarios are different. And people, I want you all to recognize that. I post these links for a reason. Um, I also posted a link talking about Ferguson isn't about black rage against cops. It's white rage against progress. Now, we're going to talk about that in depth today um, because it needs to be, you know, talked about. And going back to, you know, the white privilege thing, you know, I've had, you know, some liberal whites, you know, oh, teach me, tell me, help me to understand. And, you know, there are some of us that have gotten to the point where we're like, if you really want to understand and you really want to know and you really want to change, you have to do that for yourself. You know, like if you know someone that has a substance abuse issue and, you know, we want this person to go to rehab to kind of pull their lives back together but it doesn't matter what we want. You have to want that. So I cannot teach you how to be, you know, an anti-racist. I cannot teach you how to be an anti-sexist. I cannot teach you how to be an anti-homophobe. I cannot teach you how to, you know, give up your white privilege. You have to do that for yourself. It has to be a conscious decision. You have to put that into action. It doesn't matter what I say or what I want. It's about you putting forth conscious and consistent effort and then calling it out when you see it. When you see other whites that are being racist, sexist, homophobic, you know, flaunting their white privilege or what have you, it is up to you to check it. Because what a lot of people don't seem to understand, and especially some of the whites out here, is going to take you to stop racism. What men don't understand is that it's going to take them to stop sexism. You're going, to, you're going to have to do the majority of the work. And so it's just really interesting when you start, um, you know, explaining these things to people. And, you know, I'm just at the point that, you know, I'll give you the information. You can check the wall and all of that, but I can't do it for you. Never could do it for you, not trying to do it for you. you. It has to be a conscious effort. So, again, um, I'm just telling you guys, you know, how much we appreciate you. And I'm going to pull Red Ninja into the conversation now. Hey, Red. Hey, how's it going? Hey, it's going good. How are you today? Very good. I can't complain. There you go. There you go. What did you think about what I was just talking about with, um, you know, the white, liberal, progressive, um, secularists that, I, that are out here? Um, and 
sometimes some of our allies don't realize it, but sometimes they can be some of the worst foes that we have because you have some of these people out here that are saying, wait, 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 and, you know, to me it, it lines up with what, you know, Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson did when they went down to Ferguson. They're there telling them to stop protesting and to go home. And, and at Michael Brown's funeral, Al Sharpton had the nerve to tell them to stop having ghetto pity parties. And it's, it's just really interesting because, again, we did not choose Al Sharpton or Jesse Jackson to be our leaders. The media chose them. We didn't choose them. They have failed right. us. And, well, and basically it's all about the money. Go ahead, honey. Oh, no, well, what, what I was going to say is, on the one hand, um, I can understand why, you know, a lot of the people that are upset about Ferguson um, and and the reaction, the, the reaction in the black community about Ferguson. I think the reason why they're reacting, so many of them are reacting negatively, is they they are, in one sense, reacting out of fear. Um, right. They're afraid of things becoming a little bit too out of control, and I'm going to just isolate the situation from, you know, like the atheist standpoint. Um, when we talk about, like, how a lot of the, um, we'll say, white atheist leaders have ignored the situation, a lot of it is because they, like a lot of the conservatives, are afraid that black communities are gonna, are going to become too out of control for them to handle. They don't really know how to approach this. It's like you're a child and you don't know how to... It's like seeing your mother and your father be upset, but you don't know what to actually say to console them. You don't know, you don't know how to react. You don't know how to actually get inside their head. And so the only thing you can do is just to say, well, you know what? I don't care about it. If you're not going to let me in, I won't care about you either. And it's, a, it's, it's one way to look at it, but I think a lot of it is simply because they, they just fear what they don't understand. And what they don't understand is that um, the black community overall, when it comes to facing violence on this scale, they, mm-hmm. they have been intimidated. They have been slapped down in minor ways day after day. And when you don't live life from that perspective, it's easy to take that for granted. It doesn't matter who you are. Um, so I think a lot of it is just, uh, just not knowing how to approach somebody who's faced this much disappointment about their treatment here in America. But on the other hand, I have to say that, you know, in an age where you can talk to people, where you can have open and honest dialogue, you can't stay ignorant about the circumstances within poor black communities. And a lot of people just choose to stay ignorant because it's safe. For them to stay ignorant, right? And right, that's one part. That's that's what I can say about it. Oh yeah, definitely. And you know what's interesting is, you know, and, and some of them just plain and simply do not care. You know, there was a mm-hmm. secular show which I won't name the show um, that basically um, they had an episode in which they were you know praising the Supreme Court um, decision on, you know, the LGBT community, DOMA, so on and so forth. And they had 
um, somebody of black descent from the secular community on, because, again, it's a secular show, and they brought up how it was bittersweet. You know, it was great for the LGBTQ game, but it was bitter because of, you know, basically they struck down Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act. And this is, you know, white male libertarian, and he said, well, I can see how that would be, you know, how that would upset you. To me, that type of reaction tells me you don't give a shit. Well, yeah, and like I said, it's, it's it's one of those things where you know people they're you, they're they're running out of excuses to not care. They're running out of excuses to not attempt to actually understand a particular situation. But it's easy to do that. You know, it's it's easy to do that because again, um, it's the safe thing to do. You know, if you right. if you want to live in a world. If if you if you want to live in a world in which only you and yourself matter, then you'll be more inclined to stay away and not actually get in the fight. You know, you'll be more inclined to not have to ask Michael Brown and his family how they actually feel and why it's important. Because it's it's you're at a safer distance, you can remove yourself from a situation and you don't have to come up with a solution because it doesn't matter to you. And when it when when people who are being hurt and killed um, don't matter to you, then you've lost your empathy. You have lost your ability to actually reason. And and, it's a shame. It is a shame. And unfortunately, I'm seeing some, you know, atheists of color, you know, a couple of black atheists in particular that, you know, are siding with that and saying that, you know, they're going to wait until all of the information comes in before they assess it. And 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 it's just it's really interesting because not only with this particular situation, you know, other situations which um, in which blacks were hurt or unjustly killed and or unjustifiably killed, and you know they they've taken these stances. And I'm going to read a part from this article um, about you know Ferguson wasn't necessarily about black rage, but it's about white rage. And this part here, you know, I found this very poignant, and it says, protests and looting naturally capture attention, but the real rage smolders in meetings where officials redraw precincts to dilute African-American voting strength or seek to slash the government payrolls that have long served as sources of black employment It goes virtually unnoticed, however, because white rage doesn't have to take to the streets and face rubber bullets to be heard. Instead, white rage carries an aura of respectability and has access to the courts, police, legislatures, and governors who cast its efforts as noble, though they are actually driven by the most ignoble motivations. And, you know... Yeah, yeah, you know, and it's talking about how it recurs, white rage recurs in American history. I mean, you know, this is actually a really, really good article, um, and it explains so much, and it talks about the Southern strategy. It talks about, this is one part in here when they're talking about education and how in March 1956, 
101 members of Congress issued the Southern Manifesto, declaring war on the Brown decision, you know, Brown versus the Board of Education, and governors in Virginia, Arkansas, Alabama, Georgia, and elsewhere then launched massive resistance. They created a legal doctrine interposition that supposedly nullified any federal law or court decision with which a state disagreed. They passed legislation to withhold public funding from any school that abided by Brown. They shut down public school systems and used tax dollars to ensure that whites could continue their education at racially exclusive private academies. Black children were left to rot with no viable option. You're saying history being repeated here. And that's why I yeah. say, you know, the script is the same. It's just the players are a little bit different, the scenarios are a little bit different, but the script is the same. And this is what I'm trying to get people to understand. I don't post this stuff on my wall just for shits and giggles. I really do want you to read it, and I know I post a lot. And people have lives. You know, I have one too. And, you know, it's just that um, – so much information. We want you to see it. We want you to get it. We want you to understand the correlation and how what they did then has a bearing and effect on how we're living now. Um, it's, it's just it's really interesting. Yeah. And, you know, some people that the black community considered allies, I'm going to kind of drift off a little bit, but I'm going to bring it right on back to this. But some of the people that blacks have considered allies are really the same people that have hurt our communities the worst. Bill Clinton, with his contract for America, Bill Clinton, with his welfare reform, Bill Clinton, with his NAFTA, you know, and I can go on about that. We are dealing with the after effects of that now. Black wealth was wiped out in this damn great recession, we really went into a depression, but there's always been a depression in the black community as, com- as compared to the white community, especially after the New Deal. But his policies are still hurting us to this day. Even some of the policies that are being implemented by Barack Obama, trust me, in 10, 15 years, we're going to feel it, telling you to brace yourself. Um, yeah. And, and, like, and the, the, whole, the, the whole thing... When you when you really think about it, um, the outrage that's actually happening, it's been coming to a boil over the last 10, 20, 30 years. And yeah. the, the entire idea behind that, if you really think about it, Kim, um, what's really going on is that it's a class struggle as just as much as it is, if not more so than it is a race struggle. And what we're really right. seeing here is – basically a sort of a backdraft, right, in the sense that first you feel the heat and then you have the flames come through, but somebody actually planted that fire. And what's planted that fire is um, policies that were at first intended for good means, but that got out of control. And a lot of the reaction, like we'll just talk about Ferguson for a second, um, when you when you're really talking about you know the police and you know we're talking about like the kinds of power that authority has actually been given, the real problem is that the react the negative reaction that's resulted against the black community are from people who know that their power is dying, who right. know that their hold and their ability to intimidate is dying, and it's the same situation within politics when we talk about Senate when we talk about the Congress, um, the people that are reacting negatively 
towards those amongst the lower middle class community of all races, not just black people, but Latino people. You have right. even those even those amongst the white minority that are also poor, right? The, the entire idea is that people are reacting as much as they are in outrage because they're tired of being pressed down. They're tired of being systematically put under the foothills of those that don't gain by giving the small people and the little people the power that they need to be able to control their lives. And it's just that our government from the very beginning has a vested interest in keeping people's mouths shut because it doesn't serve their interests. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, we've already kind of jumped into the fire. Let me go ahead and turn it up a little bit (laughs) because I'm talking to you and I know you can handle it, right? So, Mm -hmm. because, I mean, I just laugh because, you know, for the most part I play softball when, you know, I deal with people, but, I mean, you can handle it. So let's play some hardball for a minute, okay? So what's interesting about what's happening now and, you know, again, tying that into the white rage, but also tying it into the paradox of white privilege, right? So, you know, you do have four whites out there, but they still have a certain amount of privilege because they're white. They don't understand it. They know it. They'd They'd rather be white and poor than rich and black. You know, many have stated that. So what I'm starting to see more, and I'm kind of tying all of this in, is basically a lot of the rage that we're seeing from a lot of the whites and and, and most um, and most visibly, I'm talking about the honorary white folks. The only, you know, according to the social hierarchy in America, the only real white people are white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. The Irish, the Italian, the Jewish people, now the Asians, you know, uh, and some Latinos, you're honorary white. You're not really white. You're white for statistical purposes only. And they afford you some white privileges, if you will. But right now, I see the biggest fight from the Tea Partiers or some of the Libertarians or some of these people out here that are so outraged. They want a new social contract. Because it kind of ties in, if you go back and you look at what happened with Occupation Wall Street, you had all of these, you know, um, young white kids, you know, that, you know, went to college, got their education, and, you know, them and their families are used to being able to go and get a job. You quit a job, go down two floors in the same building, pick up another job from Joe Bob over there, right? And it's not like that anymore. And so basically they're putting, being put in the same position that blacks have been in for ages, and these are some of the same people that did not understand why the black community did not rise up with them during Occupation Wall Street. And there were many of us saying, we've been telling you this for years. You didn't believe it when we were telling you it was happening to us. We've just gotten used to it. So, again, they're trying to invoke a new social contract, and that is what that is some of the kindling, to me, is the major part of the kindling for this burning rage to this fire that we're dealing with now. What say you, Rick? Well, I would say that um, I'd say that I agree in the sense that, you know, the whole idea with Occupy Wall Street, we already had our Occupy Wall Street with the Civil Rights Movement. Um, right. They were, they were four decades behind with that, but we already had it. And the whole idea is that this is just basically, you know, what you just said in regards to, um, you know, having, you know, lower middle class 
white people actually get involved with the Occupy Wall, Wall Street movement when you have a lot of these disgruntled people within society just now actually saying something is wrong with our government, the only reaction that we can have is to say, what rock were you hiding in? Right. That you didn't actually see these things in advance. What, what rock were you hiding in when Wall Street crashed? Did you really think that this just happened within the last two, three, four years? It's been building up since the very inception of the United States in and of itself. And right. the way that we've handled things like our Federal Reserve, the way that we've handled things like our social policies and the New Deal and things of that nature, it's been a boil. And it's always because at root, um, America has always been – America started off in a very feudalistic place. And that like inherent feudalism, this need for territory – has always been a part of America, whether we actually like it or not. And it's just that we're now getting the backdraft of that. Um, so the thing is, a lot of people are waking up, but it's become it's too late for people to wake up. We've already been we've we've already been shat on. Exactly. You, know, you can't piss in people's pockets and tell them it's raining. <laughs> but that's exactly what's that's exactly what's been happening. And the fact that people are just now starting to realize, holy shit, we're screwed. We have to right. actually change some things. Um, I think a lot of that is just the anger that they know their eyes were being, were being closed. And exactly. they're bitter and, about and, and, it. And it. Oh, yeah, and they could be oblivious to it because they had their white privilege. It was like certain things were guaranteed to them. Exactly. You know, an education was guaranteed. A job was guaranteed. You know, position of authority was guaranteed. A home was guaranteed. All of these, you know, all of these, you know, um, extras were guaranteed to them until right. the money we'll be, started running out. Exactly. And, you know, when the trust funds start running out, you know, when the bank accounts start running out, and when the people that are giving you your trust funds have bankruptcies, what else are you going to do? You're going to have to get down into the nitty-gritty. You're going to have to move into the apartments. You're going to have to take up your jobs at Walmart. You're going to have to actually do those things and be forced to relate to the communities that have dealt with their spot in life and have been forced to deal with their spot in life for decades. And a lot of it is just outrage that they finally have to be put in a place that the black community has been in from day one. And it's not exactly. a very good place to be. It's not a very welcoming – well, I would say it's not a very um, – it's not a place for ego when you have to survive. Right. Exactly. Exactly, because you do what you have to do in order to survive. And, you know, again, you know, let's, you know, let's take it a step further. So going back into leadership in the black community, as far as I'm what? concerned – People that call themselves our leaders, um, they actually failed us. And as far as I'm concerned, they need to move and get out the way so that those of us that are a little bit more progressive, that are a little bit more innovative, um, can come in and actually start to implement things at a grassroots level that can actually make some change and afford some change, you know, because you know, sorry, but these young folks ain't listening to Al Sharpton. They're not listening to Jesse Jackson. As a matter of fact, they were booed down in Ferguson. When they came up there and they started asking for money, for donations, they were booed well, yeah, right and, off stage. Go ahead. Yeah, and, 
and no, I'll just say, let's remember too that a lot of these, like the one guy, you probably saw this video, Kim, where he started like apologizing on behalf of the black community, you know, saying, you know, we are sorry for the outrage and how terribly that we've acted in, re- in, in regards to this situation. You have to remember that a lot of these people actually work for the religious right. Right? That's true. So, of course, what they're going to do is they're going to turn around, and a lot of these people are very interested in selling you Jesus. They're very interested in selling you that the only way to recover from this situation is to come into the church and let the church help you. Right? And donate to the church, and Jesus will bless you. And a lot of these black leaders work for the religious right. And the religious right is concerned with taking your money. They're not, they're, exactly. they are primarily, they are primarily there to take power. They talk about the next world. And I never, I'll never forget this quote. I, I can't remember who this came from, but I think it was Chris Hitchens who said this. He said, there are a ton of people that talk about having a wonderful life in the next world, but they really want power in this one. And that's it in a nutshell. Right. They want power in this country. They want your money. They don't want to improve your situation because as far as they're concerned, you're just a stepping stone. You're the car exactly. that they step on in order to advance in their political aims. And the problem is we can't tell our friends from our enemies here in America, and it's a shame. Exactly. And That's I'll right. Start, you're exactly and, right. You know, all Sharpton and Jesse Jackson lost their way because at one point we could have actually said that they were working on behalf of the black community, but as far as I mean, as far as I'm concerned, they're basically trolls. Exactly. <laughs> and, right. You know, exactly. If, if, and you know when you're when you're trolling the black community and actually telling them to stand down, when you're telling them not to get angry, um, you you might as well be, you know, and I'm sorry to say it, but you basically might as well be that house slave who stood behind the slave master and told them to just stay and be quiet and let the slave master do what he wants, and then eventually you'll become free. When the slaves are going, what are you talking about? It doesn't matter how much we sit down and stay silent. We're still going to get beat. We're still going to be deprived of our education. We're still going to get shot. We're still going to be mistreated and have our money taken. We're still not going to have 40 acres and a mule. They don't give a shit. It's not about us. It's about their power. And the fact that they're actually not seeing that, frankly, it means that they're working for the power. Exactly. They're the new exactly. house Negroes. Yep, exactly. And, and well, you know, I, I kind of take issue with that trope of house Negro still Negro, but that's something different. But, I mean, <laughs> I understand what you're going with that. But um, the whole thing is interesting because, again, you know, you're right. It's hard for us to, you know, really figure out who are our enemies and who are our real allies. And, you know, Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton, I mean, basically, you're right, they're trolls. People pay them to go away, okay? Right. And, and that's where, you know, the corporate entities come in because Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton are millionaires, Period. I mean, there are no ifs, ands, but and I had an article, and I just can't find it right now, but I'll look for it later. But it told us the net worth of Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson, and one of them is worth $10 million, and I forget what the other one was worth, but it was several million as well. 
And exactly. so this is where some of the classism comes in. Because, you know, um, Tyrese and, a, and a, couple, a few other ones were out there telling the people to go home and how they were embarrassed by the protesters. And Tyrese, of all people, you were discovered on a bus singing, dude. You're not supposed to be where and this you guy, are. And this, guy came from, and this guy came from Watts. I mean, this guy exactly. came from, this guy came from, <laughs> he knows poverty. He knows what it's like to actually live in a neighborhood and not be given opportunity. He knows what it's like to be recruited for gangs day in and day out and having to resist and having to pay the price for that. And now this guy actually turns around and tells us to be quiet. That's another thing. You know, with where are the funds for Michael Brown's family coming from these millionaires? Where are the funds for these children? Where are the funds for their families? If they want to help so badly – why aren't they the ones starting the scholarships for Michael Brown and those that have actually suffered from cases of police brutality? Where are they paying the medical funds? Where are they paying the hospital exactly. bills? Where are they paying these guys? Where are they paying these families who are actually suffering, who are still having to actually grieve for their children? Where, where exactly. is their actual effort in helping the black community? and putting their money where their mouth is versus always just criticizing them and calling them out for being as angry as they should be. Exactly, exactly, and, and I agree with you, and that's why I'm, you know, earlier I was like, where is the Democratic Party? I said that last week, I've been saying it all this week and even before then, but where is the Democratic Party? Because someone had asked Hillary about Ferguson, um, uprising, and she ignored it initially. And then, you know, a couple of days later or a day later, she came out with this statement. You know, of course it was pre-written and she was reading from it in which, you know, she said that she understood, that, you know, the, the anger, the dis- disappointment, so on and so forth. And it was a very politically savvy um Response. I mean, she gave a better response than Barack Obama. But the thing is, is that, you know, the Democratic Party has been silent on a lot of this. And a lot of the policies, you know, that are hurting communities of color, you know, the Democratic Party signs off on it because in some respect they, they still profit from it. I tell people all the time they don't seem to realize this, but poverty is expensive, and people right. profit off of poverty. There is a way to profit off of poverty. I mean, have you noticed that the majority of the land owners and, and development owners in, in major inner city urban areas are white men? They make it yeah. so that you can't, you know, get a mortgage because they were redlining, and especially after this latest mortgage bust, you can't get a mortgage because, I mean, it is cheaper to purchase a home, you know, then you have to put money away for incidentals. But, again, you know, it's cheaper to own your own home and pay your own mortgage, but if you can't get a loan, there's nothing you can do. So they kind of force you into a corner there. And so, again, where is the Democratic Party? Where are they? Where do they stand on this? We already know the libertarians want to take every dime you got and some. So we already know where they stand. We already know that the Tea Party wants to take us all the way back to slavery, you know, because that's basically what they're saying when they're out there talking about they want to go back to the 1800s and they want their country back. Either they want to take us back to slavery or y'all get ready for another big boat ride, one or the other. And um, it's just... It's just the whole thing is interesting, but, again, going back to the theme of the show, um, 
this so-called leadership that has been appointed by the media, they need to step down. Now, some people feel that, you know, Jesse and Al should share the role, but the young people aren't listening to them. Hell, I'm not young. You know, I'm young, younger than a lot of – I'm younger than Al and Jesse, I'll put it that way. And I don't listen right. to them. I want them to go away personally, and, you know, it's not as though we really need their permission, you know, and I put that and I stated that. Um, We don't need their permission. I want them to go away. I want the millennials, the younger people to start stepping up. You know, I want people of Generation X and Y, and, you know, we need to start stepping up, which is why, you know, I advocate so hard for Dr. Um, Hutchinson and a few other people in this community because they have real innovative solutions. You know, we just need people to work with us, and we need resources, you know. Yeah, yeah, and and I I would also, and I would also add to that as well that um, the, the the most important thing that we can do right now is to start small and then grow larger and larger. So the whole idea, you know, when it comes to actually helping the black community, it's going to start, it really is going to start um, with coming together and actually supporting each other when it comes to things like scholarships, when it comes to things like businesses and things of this nature, because we can't be relying on, like, the Democratic Party or the Republican Party or the Libertarian Party or the Tea Party or the Green Party, or any other particular party. It really is up to us. It really is up to us because we understand implicitly what it's like to need each other. And when when you were talking about, like, why isn't the Democratic Party actually talking about this, it's because the Democratic Party, um, they may be more progressive at least on the surface, than the Republican or the Libertarian Party. But the thing is, they're still politicians. They still need campaign funds for their particular candidates, and they still need to make deals. We don't have time for deals. The black community does not have time for a deal. What they need is support to live day by day in their neighborhoods. They need to be protected. We need to stand up. And, you know, like, I don't know. Have you ever heard of this documentary called The Interrupters? No, I have not. No. Okay. I would highly recommend that you and anybody else watching or listening to this podcast, listen, go and actually watch that documentary. It's called The Interrupters. Um, okay. One of, the thing, one of the big things about the, um, the black community is that we've suffered from, we've suffered high murder and violence rates not just from the police, but from actual gang activity. And uh-huh. the documentary actually showcases a group of people who are called the Interrupters, and these are people that have, that have actually gone to prison and served time for gang activity, and they actually come together as a team to actually stop gang violence from within these communities, uh, particularly in Chicago. And I, aren't you from Chicago, Chip, or Kim? Yes, yes, I am up here, and there is so much that's happening, and yeah. I can tell you about the corruption that's happening here. I see we got a couple of, well, let me see here, six, seven, eight. Let's bring them into the conversation, and Raina is here. Six, seven, eight, may we ask who's calling? Hello, how are you uh, all? This is Q uh, calling from Atlanta. Hey, I Q from you. Atlanta. Hey, Kim. Hey, hey Red Ninja. Hey. <laughs> hey, Q. Sorry. So, 
No, but what I was saying earlier was that we we can take a page from the interrupters in the sense that what they did, what they basically did was they said it really is going to start with us because we understand we're the ones that are actually seeing our children starve and get shot. We're the ones that are actually seeing our communities being drained of their resources. We're the ones who live in a situation in which even the police are too scared to actually act because it's gotten too big for them, and it's gotten too big for our Democratic Party. And um, it's basically, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, no, it's gotten too big say, for them. You know, Yeah, no, and I, I, I agree with you, and this is one of the reasons why I'm looking at the secular community. Like I said, you know, the silence has been deafening over here from our so-called allies on this Ferguson incident and and what's happening in communities of color. I mean, they consider social justice as mission drift, and we've been telling them what's happening, and it's being basically more and more put in their face about what's happening, but their silence or their, you know, um, you know willful ignorance to this, you know, it speaks volumes. But, you know, in particular, you know, I'm I'm going to make a comment, and this goes to the secular community at large, but in particular to atheists of color. Now, some of you want to come into the community, and they want to destroy the black church. They want to get rid of the black church. They, They just think it's the most horrible thing ever. Well, the black church you know, whether you know your full history or not, I'm sure the black church had to feed your mother or your grandmother or your great-grandmother at one point when they didn't have anything to eat. I'm sure they probably helped them at one point or time with the rent. I mean, it's like this. You may not have firsthand knowledge, but sit down with your mother or your grandmother and have that conversation with them. The black church, while I disagree with the theology, it serves as a focal point in our communities and in a lot of different ways. You know, many of us, um, you know, when the food is running low at the end of the month, you go to the church and get a bag of food. In, In some cases, you go there and they have the program set up where you can go through the federal government and get help with your lights and gas. And, you know, there are just a number of things, and I don't see anything coming from the secular community. They don't even want to support the atheists of color in this community that want to set up the same type of, you know, um, programs, that want to set up the same type of business model. They don't want to support that either. So basically I'm looking at you all and I'm like, so if all of that is taken away, let's just say hypothetically, you know, the black church is totally gone, then what? You really think you're going to have a law and order then? Really? That's that's kind of where I, I wanted to segue into is that, um, like earlier, you as the host, when you made the statement about the Al Sharpens and what have you, I try to get people into what is their solution. I have several, but I'm trying to get people into what is their solution. Because when I hear black people talk, I hear them get on a merry-go-round of hyperbole. They talk about a gold unicorn next to a red river with a purple fish they can't tell you how to get there so like you my only problem in in the one thing that you said earlier with the al sharptons and what have you and you would like to see the younger people come to the forefront the the issue is when people like the interrupters or or anybody who are like that a mary pat which is under uh sharpton it's kind of odd when you hear them speak 
it's the people of our age, the over 35, who seem to be verbally attacking. And primarily, to take the case out of the women's field, it seems like the men are the main ones doing it. It seems like they're the ones getting on the blog talk radios and the the CNNs, and they're expressing all this, I don't want, I dislike, and just like you as the host, okay, what do you want to replace it with? Well, something will happen. Well, well, hold on, hold on. So you want to say- that's not where I'm coming from because, I mean, I've stated, if you've listened to this show, I've given plenty of ways that we can find some solutions. I don't have all the answers, but I know that a little bit goes a long way. And I've stated, oh, yeah, okay, go ahead. <laughs> no, not at all. No, I wasn't talking. The only thing, the only one thing I mentioned about you was the Sharpton issue. I can't have Sharpton go away because nobody is taking action to actually step up. Nobody. Everybody's talking about stepping up, which is proving your second point. Everybody's talking about stepping up, but nobody's doing it. And I, I again had conversation with people who are, who are atheists. I'm Christian, but. I said, okay, I made the same argument. If you take it away, you take Judaism away, you take it all away. Now what? Well, it'll, it'll, it'll fix itself. Well, that's a chaos mentality because now you're, you're, you're relying on the possibility of the golden unicorn. And well, yeah, I mean, no, a no, lot no, no, of, I mean, because, it's worth, well, hold on, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me respond okay. to him and then you go next, Raina. No, I gave a person, Dr. Hutchinson, we have Dr. Hutchinson, we have um, Norm Allen, we have a number of people, we have Anthony Penn, a number of people who I would rather see in leadership positions that we're trying to push to the front. So, no, I'm not just trying to get rid of Al and, you know, and, and invoke anarchy. No, there are people with solid solid um, backgrounds and solid solutions to certain things, but um, you have the Black Youth Project, and you have a lot of these young people that are starting to come up. So look at the Black Youth Project 100. Go ahead, Raina. Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, no, I agree with you, Kim, but I was going to say um, it is worth mentioning that there are a lot of people in this community, in the atheist, secularist community, that are um, anarchists and libertarians, um, so that's just worth mentioning. But um, here's the thing: I think you both kind of missed my point. And and again, for the host, I wasn't saying you personally. I was talking about the people I had spoken to prior. I have no 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 knowledge of the people that you speak, and only that I don't have no knowledge is as a person who does promotions here in Atlanta. I know of a Tariq Nasheed, for example, who teaches. Something We're not talking about Tariq Nasheed. Nope. Let not me, doing let that. Me, ma'am, 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 don't, ma'am, just holding the conversation. It's just, I mean, yeah, I but Tariq Nasheed is not a positive individual. I'm sorry. Ma'am, I didn't say he was. Okay. But here's the thing that you and no, a lot of other people miss when we're, talking about, when we're talking about these issues. You cut me off before, sir, so I'm going to continue. So in any case, um, the thing that a lot of people miss, especially when we're having these conversations about Ferguson and what have you, is a lot of people have this idea that just because they don't see black people out here protesting in the streets about black-on-black violence or doing something about black-on-black violence, that it must not be happening. But just because it's not in the media, just because it's not a part of your consciousness, does not mean that it doesn't exist. Do you understand what I'm saying? So this is this is why I'm I, I had to break in because Kim just gave you that information. So just, don't just say because you're not familiar with these individuals that you know this must not be happening. 
but it is. So you have to go out in there and do your research, and that's why we have this show, because we help we help bring this information to people. All right, so I'm I'm just gonna hold a point real quick and just kind of jump in on this because um, I'm really I'm just really curious about this. So, Q, um, you brought up Tariq Nashi and you brought up you know some of these other leaders. I would I just want to ask, how would you approach this problem that's going on in Ferguson? And if we don't get, let's say we keep Al Sharpton out there, and we say, all right, we need solutions to this problem because. You know, police brutality is a real issue, and there's changes that have to be made. What is your solution to this problem? I'll be very quick because I don't want to get the lady upset. Um, The only reason I even mentioned Tariq was I was about to say the point that as a promoter, I know who he is because he reaches out to try to uh, do little functions here. So to answer your question directly, if the people that you guys know of, if they would reach out to promoters and local individuals to get the same type of speaking functions going on, then more and more people would know about them. I don't know about them, and I know from people from New York to here. That isn't to say that they don't do a lot. I'm just suggesting to you that when people try to get into different genres of conversation so that their voice can be heard, they stretch out to different types of vehicles in, in guerrilla marketing, and they, they get exposed. But, the point, so but, the, but you know what? Speaking engagements are speaking engagements. Programs are something else. And, and Keith and Hutchinson me. and Black Skeptics Group are engaged in trying to figure out solutions. We don't have time for speaking engagements. That's what we're not. We're not about speaking engagements. That's not what we're trying to do. Okay, ma'am. What are you trying to do? We're we're putting together programs and an infrastructure to address some of these issues. That's what we're trying to do. So 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 you, so what you're saying? You're not trying to have speaking engagements, but you're no, trying to put together I infrastructure. I'm not trying to just do speaking engagements. Tariq Nasheed is about Tariq Nasheed. He is you, a really community. Tariq I kind of regret that I mentioned him. I should have yeah. mentioned George Bush or something. I mean, no, I'm not no, speaking. I don't. I don't have anything to do with George Bush either. I'm talking about the Christian thing and let you have the floor, sis, because I don't want to argue. Go ahead. <laughs> anyway, Kim, let's move this subject along, please. All right, so, um, you know, moving along, um, basically, you know, you have some of these wealthy blacks. I'm going to pull it back onto the rails here. You have some of these wealthy blacks, um, in particular, Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson, and they're telling the protesters to go home and to pray. And, you know, one of the things I was cracking on, you know, throughout this whole incident was Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson could have stayed at home and told people to pray. They could have tweeted that. They could have made it a Facebook status. I mean, why did they have to go there to tell the people to go home to pray? It's not as though they, you know, were going to be able to take control of the situation because, you know, it's just really interesting on how, they get there, and they know these women are grieving. These women are grieving. You know, they just lost their children. Um, and I'm talking about, um, you know, Trayvon's mother, Sabrina. I'm talking about um, Mike Brown's mother. You know, you have all these, you have these women, and they're grieving. You know, they just lost their children. And 
personally, just some of the things that I've seen, I feel like they're being exploited. Um, I'm going to tie it into something that Q said. He was saying that how he sees a lot of these men out here and how some of the women are basically being pushed to the side or the men just have more of a voice in the community. And, again, that goes back to patriarchy, you know, the paternalistic system that we're in. So, again, you know, when you have this system that is built on, quote, unquote, male leadership, of course they're going to attempt to promote the men more than the women or shut the women down. I mean, one of the things that I've noticed on some of these programs, you know, some of the panels that I've seen, the men can be your everyday Joe from off the street, but the women have to have 20 letters behind their name. they got to be Dr. something-something or the other. And That's so true. it's just, you know, I'm noticing all of these things, but now with the advent of the technology, you know, women are able to stand up a little bit more and push themselves to the forefront, but you will always have certain men in this community that will come in and let the women do the work, let the women do the hard work, and then they want to assume the leadership position. And But you have a number of women pushing back and saying no. So, again, I mean, I'm starting to see more and more in this community, but, yes, we need the millennials to stand up. We need to help them recognize their voice. We need to help them, you know, uh, um, you know, speak. And we need to help them with, you know, getting out in the community. I agree. We can get out here and we can speak more as secularists. We can speak more, but, you know, we're trying to implement real programs, you know. And so while we're doing that, and I'm sure there's a bunch of people that would love to have us, you know, come and speak at their rallies. And, again, some of these same people, they want us to pay our way. I mean, if I have to choose between spending $800 to get to New York to come, you know, talk for 15 minutes at your program or use that $800 to help get some bus tokens to get some of the people in my program to get them back and forth to work into the program, well, I'm going to choose to use that $800 to, to help these young people to develop skills so that they can go and get a job. I'm not exactly. going to spend $800 to go to New York. Exactly. Now, if you pay my way, I'll come. But in the meantime, I'm going to reinvest my resources back into my program, back into my young people that I'm trying to develop. We have a call from 213. May we ask who's calling? This is Chica. Hi, Chica. Hello, how are you? Good, how are you? I I I just I just like I heard patriarchy and I had to like get on the phone and like support that sister. I was like, what? You? Know, I mean, the, the thing is, I think a lot of people don't understand that there are a lot of people, like Kimberly was saying, there are a lot of people out there that are are women. Um, you know, there are black women who are, you know, like um, Dr. Hutchinson. Um, there is Dr. Johnson. Um, you notice all the black women that that are speaking. They all got degrees. Let's not forget <laughs> Elaine. Let's not forget Elaine Brown either. Yeah, right. yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not oh, saying yeah. that you have to have a degree. I'm simply pointing out, like, even to be dismissed, you have to have a degree for a black woman. Um, and I think that, you know, even in our, our um, the reason why you're not seeing a lot of people, you know, uh, step up to the to the plate in regards to um, replacing um, Sharpton, or not replacing him, but just kind of like being the next generation, is because, you know, these people have to be anointed 
um, by the establishment. Exactly. And to me, it's like they're stuck totally in the Martin Luther King mindset and not understanding that a lot of things that we did, we were back in the, during the civil rights movement, we were doing it to appeal to white people. White right. people were exactly. sexist. White people have patriarchy, so they need a, white, a black man to be in front for white people. So for us to continue to use that paradigm in 2014 and only look at men and only have this kind of, you know, narrow view of who a leader is, what a leader can be, it just kind of like, it, it, it explains why in Ferguson people did, um, you know, shout down the establishment because the establishment is obviously not working. Right. And we have to remember, too, um, Kind of like what you were saying earlier, a lot of things, think about Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson and some of our black political leaders is that they're there mainly to pacify white folks and thinking we're going to get out of control. Right. They're, they're there to actually tell the white people, see, you don't really, there are some black people you don't have to be afraid of. We're not all monsters and immoral. We're not all out of control. There, it's damage control. It's damage control. Exactly. And that's the exactly. most Exactly. Part. Exactly. And we have that same issue over here in, in the secular community. You know, there have been, you know, a couple of people that they have anointed as the damage control folks. And I'll just put it like this. You know, they, you know, that little oil that you use to anoint them, well, they might use it for the right purposes, but I'm going to leave that alone. But, um, you know, because we had one that, you know, declared their sovereignty not too long ago. And, you know, I've been really nice about it, but what I really want to say is, bye, bitch, bye. That, that's what I really want to say. Well, damn. So, I mean, well, you know how I feel. I know, but, I know, um, I know. We're just talking about it. <laughs> and so I'm just sitting back. There are some people that they have anointed as leaders in our community that do not have our best interests at heart. They oh. never have. They never will. They're looking at this from a perspective of they can be entrepreneurs. They can make money from this. They can right. get some new fresh booty from this. Trust me, men are not the only ones that can't keep their pants up, okay? And so, you yeah. know, I'm just seeing, you know, a lot of what's happening, and I'm like, you're choosing these people because you consider them as safe. Mm. And we're looking at them, and we're like, no, wrong person, wrong person, but you don't want to choose, you know, the people that are really for the community. Why? Because you can't control them. Right. And that speaks a lot about these, the establishment, if you will, whether it's, the, you know, the religious establishment or the secular establishment or D, all of the above. And I'm just sitting here and I'm looking at this, and this is why we're saying it's time for them to go. It's time for them to go retire with Morgan Freeman and Bill Cosby and, you know, a whole bunch of other folks. You know, we need to get a black leadership retirement home and send them on over there and let them go fishing. Because it's time for them to move out the way. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, what I find interesting is that they feel like they are entitled to be our leaders, like they are entitled to tell us what's good. It's time for a change. You know, we are, you know, this is 2014. We can't do what we did in the 60s. Sorry, it's just not going to work. Take a drop. Oh, no. So it's, it's just it's not going to work. It's time for a change. 
and we don't live in the same political atmosphere. Um, I'm just curious, is Q still here? Yeah, I'm still here. I just I just wanted to share the mic. I, I don't want to, you know, argue, so I'm just listening. Okay, so... I just wanted I just wanted to make sure. So the reason and the reason why I was asking if you're still there is because we're not out here trying to get rid of every religious leader who is actually trying to help. But what we're basically saying I think the I think the real miscommunication here is again trying to understand who our who our best friends are and who our worst enemies are. Um now the thing that and, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna mention that I'm just gonna mention that the the real thing that I'm upset about is that too many too many of the reason the reason why we're upset about like Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson and some of our black political leaders out here some of the reason why we're upset about some of these guys Q is because a lot of them are just interested in selling us a solution that actually isn't working you can tell us to pray you can tell us to go to church you can tell us to trust on Jesus but the problem is is what Frederick Douglass mentioned hundreds of years ago which was that I prayed and prayed for 20 years and nothing happened until I started praying with my legs. And they're basically putting us in a position where they just want us to sit down and not do anything and trust on something that is not actually truly helping us to come up with a solution. And that's the problem that we have with Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson and some of our religious leaders. And let me, and, 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 and let me meet you in the middle. I agree. Okay what you just said. Okay. Go ahead. No, that's all I got. I'm just, well, 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 see, here's the thing. Here, here's the thing. I, I try to call into shows to broaden my horizons, to uh, and it isn't stuff I necessarily have to agree with or whatever the case may be. For me, it's a conversation. But I understand right. people are passionate and cemented by their positions. And many a times, when you interact with somebody who is of Christian or who is of white, you tend to think that you have to attack them rather than have a conversation with them that because you're naturally going to disagree. So I try to meet people in the middle. I do agree about Jesse Johnson wholeheartedly. I slightly agree about Al because, hey, at the end of the day, Al is a glorified pimp. But here's where I fall short. I know and how yet you mentioned Tariq Nasheed, who actually calls himself a pimp. Proudly. Everybody, go ahead. And you're still on. I'm just saying. I'm just. I'm just. I'm just pointing oh, out that you're calling. That you're calling. That you called out Tariq Nasheed, and then you just called out Al Sharpton for being a pimp. That's all I did. That's all I did. So argumentative. Let's let let Q speak. I'm just pointing out. I'm just pointing out that that was said. That's all I'm saying. I wasn't doing anything. Go ahead. For the third time. Okay. So. So basically, I'll be short because a sister got to speak. Um, so, so I do agree that that those people, even the Creflo, even the Creflo dollars, are out of pocket. I would just um, like to see some of the people you guys mentioned do what Umar is doing. Make yourself known to the average young dude on the street with a gun. Make yourself known to that cat so he can feel like there has there, there's an option. If he's only if, if if a person is only known in the in a certain group or community and they're not known to the dude who's looking for choices, that's where the problem comes in. But I let the sister go ahead. Okay. I apologize. Okay, no 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 and I and I understand, you know, what okay, you're now, saying. Now, um, I, I have something to say about that. I have I have something to say about that too. Um 
what you should know, Q, is that some of these people are known to the young black dudes in the street. Right. So, maybe not your particular neighborhood or area, but... No, I, I, I agree with that. Yeah, that's no, right, obvious. Yeah, so, right, right. So, like, Dr. Penn, Dr. Hutchinson, and some of these guys are known to the young black dude in the street, and so are guys like Grayson Square, or Great On Square. Right, they're also activists that are out there in the black community. Which was the point that I was making earlier, Red Ninja, when I said that just because they're not a part of your consciousness does not mean they're not out here. You know what I mean? That's that's what I said earlier. Yeah, but I think I think I think what you missed, sisters. What I was trying to say is, and, and to you, Red, is not that they aren't out there. I never said that. I said, you know, I, I, I guess Al Sharpton is at a point. And and let's call him Al Al Rafkin. That way y'all y'all don't think I'm talking about him. But Al Rafkin is at a point to where everyone knows who he is. That's because he's been anointed by the oh, by the corporate queen, media, which is what Tika was talking about. Okay. You go ahead and prove my point for me, Queen. I would say I, I because he's been anointed by the corporate media. There's nothing there's we're not out here trying to be anointed by the media. We're never going to get that kind of we're never going to get that kind of support out here because we're not we're not sharing this message of gradualism and prayer. That's the message that the media likes. It's a it's a message that's warm and fuzzy. You know, we're saying we need we need solutions, we need programs, we need we need a new social contract. You know what I mean? This is what we've been saying. Am I wrong, Kim? Oh, no, you're absolutely right. And Tika is saying that um, their job is to get us to shut the hell up, and they aren't leaders, they are our overseers. And that's the problem. You know, if they were leading, then we could talk, but no, they want they want to sell us out. And so, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's just it's, it's interesting. Um, as far as, you know, getting out there and being known in the community, you know, some of us are quite known in the community. The problem is, you know, there are people out there, because we do not believe in a guy, we're not going to tell people to pray about it. We're not going to tell them to go lay prostrate and, and go home and just drop the Bible on your bed or whatever scripture that pops up. That's what you live by. That's not what we're doing. We're telling people it's about actions. It's about, you know, taking your ideas and adding action to it, and this is how we're going to be able to affect change. And basically for a lot of people in the establishment, you know, um, whites and certain blacks, they don't necessarily want things to change. You know, they don't necessarily want the progress, which is why we're getting some of the backlash that we're getting, you know, with Ferguson, because there is progress that's going to be made from this, you know, and, you know, we have younger people stepping up and, we're looking at the current leadership in the community, and we're saying, no, not good enough. No, this is not the 60s. You know, you're not talking to my grandmother anymore. You're not talking to my mother. You're talking to us. And it's a totally different world now. And they cannot expect us to just, you know, go marching around in a big old circle singing, we shall overcome. You know, that was, you know, that was the 60s. And, you know, prayer is out the door. What are we going to pray about? Why do we have to pray to get out of these situations? If there was a real and loving God, we never would have been in the situation to begin with. 
you know, what it takes is action. And unfortunately, you got too many people out here, and I'm talking about black, white, yellow, green, whatever, too many people are sitting on their laurels waiting for someone else to get the ball rolling, to get it started. They want someone else to do the heavy lifting, and then they want to come in and sweep up everything and and act like, you know, they were there from the beginning and that they helped it to become what it was. And we're seeing that all throughout the secular community with just different things that we're doing. You know, I, I know that there are some people sitting back waiting. And, you know, what you were talking about with the programs, you know, this is the second year that the Black Skeptics Group have given out the first in a family humanist, you know, scholarships. So we've built that. We're doing social justice projects on a national basis. We have different people in different cities and different states, and we go out. And we're stepping out into the community more and more, even without the proper resources that are really needed to implement a lot of these programs. We're just doing the best with the little that we have. But then you have people even within this community discouraging it. And then you still have the rejection that we get from the religious community because we don't believe in their loving God. But, however, there are some people in the religious community that have just been you know, absolutely exceptional and wonderful, and they've been working with us. The problem is when other people in the community find out that these progressive ministries or pastors or whomever are working with us, then basically they start threatening their jobs. They don't want them to work with those of us in the secular community. And and this is where some of the divide comes in and why we're not making as much progress as we should because everybody wants to be the person in charge. And, is, and mainly I'm seeing a lot of the backlash coming from the older generations, you know, and, you know, it's time for them to kind of step to the side. And, you know, they can counsel, you know, in some cases co-lead until, you know, the other person is willing to take it on. But if you're 80, 90 years of age and you don't want to give up or co-lead with anybody, I mean, do you think you're going to live to the same age as Enoch? I mean, seriously? Funny. I mean, you know, some of them feel like they're, you know, they feel like they're invincible, that, you know, they're they're going to live forever. But um, the leadership in the black community is lacking. Um, and what they're going to have to understand is that it's going to take all of us, just like we want the religious community to understand those of us that are secular and that are leaders and organizers, that we can work together, you know, and it doesn't have to be an acrimonious or hostile situation. But even with some of the people in the secular community who don't want us to work with the religious people, and I'm like, look, we're trying to accomplish A, B, and C. They're trying to accomplish A, B, and C together. We're pooling our resources, and we're accomplishing A, B, or C. You know, it doesn't have anything to do with their ideology or their theology. We're trying to help the people. But, I mean, what I want, you know, some of the people in the secular community to realize is that we're getting pushback in the, in the secular community. And when our programs and and, and you know, the path that we're trying to take when it's being called mission drift and being dismissed and being belittled. I mean, seriously, do you really think that we're going to continue to allow ourselves to be abused and be mischaracterized? That's just it's not going to happen, and it's unrealistic. So I'm trying to figure out, you know, I, you know, where do we go from here? 
And that's, you know, that's what, this is why we have these conversations. But, yeah, the black leadership in our community, they're lacking. They have failed us. And it's time for a major paradigm shift. And I believe that the millennials play an extremely important part because we have to get them while they're young. We have to train up these children. You know, we talk about these politicians. We talk about, you know, a lot of the things that are happening, getting people appointed to the school board. But we have to start mentoring and training these people. We have to do that. So we can train them for those positions before they even run for the position, you know, for an elected position or or are appointed to different positions. We have to do our part, too. And I would also say, Kim, too, that the the important thing also, and I think this is is one major thing that's failed us about our American education system. Um, the, The thing that we also have to do is we have to actually understand the roles that we as that that we are capable of taking within our government to influence policy. One of the things that's actually filled us about the American education system is that we don't understand why roles within both the community politics, within state politics, and within nationwide politics are actually important and how they affect actual policy. We're not taught that. We have to actually be kept ignorant within our own education system. And I think the education system is also a major failing Within America, we're taught to test. We are not taught to actually learn things. Exactly. You're absolutely correct. You know, in too many cases, even before all of this, you know, the educational reforms of Bush and Obama, even before then, you know, you're correct. We were taught to test. We were not taught necessarily to be critical thinkers. Well, that's most people because um, I'll just put it this way. I was put in, you know, special classes, and that, but that was only after the teachers had to have a major talk with my mother. But I was put in the AP and the gifted classes, and um, the curriculum for us was a little bit different. That's why I'm happy to see, you know, Khalil Muhammad getting recognition now for his book, The Condemnation of Blackness. We went to school together. Um, we were all part of that class of 90 gifted students. So they taught us a little bit different, but the standard curriculum, yes, you are taught the test. You are not taught to think critically. You're not taught to think, um, you know, logically to a certain degree. And, and, and it's just this is why we have so many people that sit back and they are waiting to be told what to do. Right. Because they don't right. know what to do next because no one has right. told and them they what to do. Right, and they don't know the kind of power that they have as citizens within, within their communities. They don't know their power. They have no idea what they're actually capable of. And most of our American government need us that way. They need us not knowing. They need us ignorant. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And just like, you know, another example of what's happening with these voter IDs, um, laws that they're putting on the books. They know that 25% of the black community does not have any type of state-issued or government-issued ID. Right. This is being done on 
purpose. It's only 8% of white people who do not have a government ID of any sort. So this is all being done on purpose. You hear all of these people saying, let's privatize the schools. They're trying to privatize it so they can find even more ways to deny children of color an education. You hear all of these people saying, take the public sector jobs and privatize them so that way they can push black people out of these jobs. I'm telling you, you know, these, you know, the, the jobs that we had, you know, the employment we had with the government, that helped create the black middle class. They're trying, you know, the middle class is already being crushed in this, in this country. You know, you're either poor or rich, period. Um, and, again, you know, pushing certain people out of these positions. I mean, it's all being done on purpose. And this is what we're just trying to get you all to recognize and to understand. So when you have these people who look at us and tell us, well, what are you upset about? You all don't have anything to be upset or raging about. You know, you're in this country. You're not over there in Africa running around with bones through your nose. And, you know, you're over here in the greatest country ever. And you never get things We built this country. Kim, can Go we ahead, also talk to, I, I, I'm sorry, man. When, when anybody talks about, like, how we're so lucky to not be in Africa, they're talking as if Africa is this whole backwards fucking continent that has absolutely nothing good going on. But not they don't that, act as if Africa is actually a culture that has actually brought economic change within their own communities. There are mm-hmm. certain countries that have actually have problems, but Africa is not this monolith that's crying out for this white hand that needs them to save them. Right, and but not just that. It's like they're also negating the reality of colonialism and screwing up the continent. You know what I mean? And, uh-huh. how, and how capitalism and, you know, colonialism, you know, continues, you know what I mean, to um, create strife and create situations you know, that, you know, that we all sit over here and we think, oh, I'm so glad to be over here. You know, those right. are not situations that black people in Africa have created. Those are situations they've had to live with as a result of colonialism and from Western influence and corporate influence. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And then you have those over here that are saying, well, you know, maybe we should go back. Look, it was our forefathers, you know, um, free labor that built this country. America would not be what it is today if it were not for the Africans that they brought here. You know, in all actuality, we built this economy. We built this country. Why should we give it up? No. And, and, that's, a, and that's a safe place for, for them to do that. Um, when I hold conversation with white folks, it's, you know, white folks have always been a very fearful type of group to me. They're very scared of everything. Even things that benefit them, they come out to be uh, very scared of them. I uh, was sharing with this white guy on his thoughts of the whole black people and what he thought black and brown people did. And I said to him, I said, you know, you do realize that white Europeans come over to this country and abuse the system greater than any black or Latin person ever did. A person standing right next door to you in the house that looks just like yours driving a BMW, his wife is an EBT queen. You do realize that, right? And I think that white folks have been for so long of this opinion of things 
but unlike black people and Latin people, they never was investigators of what they try to believe. Well, I gotta, I, I gotta agree with that. I have to agree with that to a certain extent. Now, the other thing that we have to remember too is that um, there's another fallacy that's actually been going on too, and I, I meant to bring this up. Um, when people bring up the, you know, like the whole black on black crime issue, I'm just curious, what kind of point do you think that people are actually trying to make when they say, well, if black people were really upset. What they should be focused on is black-on-black violence. We're just responsible for that as any white police brutality that's actually been going on out there. Um, my thing about that is that violence that has been a major issue within actually the black community is essentially violence over territory, and that violence over territory started out of desperation as a result of being put into circumstances and being poor by white authorities. So I don't think that you're actually making much of a point when you bring up black-on-black violence as if it should be a debit for not being angry about police brutality. Um, But I'm just curious to get other people's opinions on that when people bring that up, because that's another fallacy I get a lot. Well, as as I've talked to people, especially white folks, and for some reason black men say that a lot. But when I talk to them, uh, it, it comes from a sense of, you know what, if they can get their stuff together, and I, I try to say all the time, but you got to understand other groups, they have systems in place, and that was one of the reasons I called about the topic. They have systems in place that give those boys who are primarily the offenders, give them a sense of, okay, I can always fall into the system. Uh, the sister uh, uh, earlier spoke of uh, patriarchy. And, you know, the unfortunate thing is this. Uh, Little boys are not benefiting in some type of way. And they're taking the first gun that comes to their hand, and they're doing wrong. So I don't know what the solution is as far as that's concerned. I always say when we have opinions, and even like myself, we got to create little web portals for these young dudes to tap into. Uh, we got to reach out to when they go to... Uh, uh, world star hip hop. There needs to be an ad that we've created to give them a different way of thinking, or come over to our page and check out whatever, whatever. Those are the solutions I, I see uh, when it comes to to that. And I think people say those things answering your question directly because they 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 want to get the sense of well, black folks need to fix that before they can even speak. Well, black folks don't necessarily in every arena have a system like the other groups have right uh jewish jewish boys have a bar mitzvah the girls have the reverse of a bar mitzvah that means that you tell the child who they are and what they are to the community and what they are to themselves we don't have like that for black americans caribbeans do black english people do so that's the way i would answer that question directly Okay, now um, we have a couple of callers online, but I want to speak to something um, what you just said, Q, and tie it into something that was said earlier. Um, basically, what could stop a lot of that economic 
and educational opportunities. You know, what I don't understand is these, you know, black millionaires, namely Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton, why aren't they reinvesting in our communities? Um, namely, I remember at one time Operation Push, Jesse Jackson's organization, they were protesting against all of the liquor stores that were in communities of color. And then after a while, you know, the protest stopped and it all went away. And Jesse Jackson's sons have one of the largest liquor distribution businesses in Chicago. Hmm, funny how that works. Anyway, let's bring Hotep Kenyatta into the conversation, mm-hmm. and we'll be like in a minute. But let's let's bring Hotep Kenyatta into the con- conversation. Hello. Hi. Good afternoon, wherever you are, family. We have an SOS in our community. I think we all realize it. We approach problems sometimes with different um, mindsets in terms of how we got to this point, but clearly between the Ferguson incident, and that's not going to be the last in our nation, um, we're in trouble. But Jesse, Al, uh, Charlie Rangel, people like that, really, and I met with three of them, um, really are not the solutions they all have a role. One is the more articulate plantation coon, and the other two are the less articulate plantation coons that attract another type of person. They are ineffective, and even if we were to say they are good-hearted people, they haven't done their job. When do we put people out, of, out into the pasture? When do we allow an actual voting process so that community leaders don't just pop up with very questionable objectives? When do we have any platform? Um, we have a, an educate. I'll, I'll be brief. I know everyone has a lot on their minds because we're in drastic situations. We have an educational system where most of our children, especially boys, can't really read at their, their age level where the, the teachers come from richer communities, usually white females, who may want to empathize, some of them, but they really, you know, they, they, they have limitations. I used to be in the school system. I'm still involved in some way. Police precincts should be run by us. Why do people come out again? So the white women goes in the class, the white male becomes the cop, fireman, and we sit around and wonder uh, what's happening. And religion... It's, a, it's the third rail, but it really plays a role. We don't look beyond uh, the history of Christianity, Judeo-Christianity, Islam, um, Judaism, to see the black nature of all of them. We think 2014 often as opposed to humanity being around for 100,000 years. So much of the challenge is us not uniting, not forming a black united nations, not investing in Africa, and not nurturing our children. But the other part of it is we can't just say it's us because we live in a hostile system. We could sing Kumbaya and think positive all day. The kick in the head from the system in the corporate world is just as bad as the kick in the head from a cop. And, I mean, we have 100,000 problems it's going to be so hard to solve because we don't have one umbrella organization to think and reflect and share resources, and the NAACP never counted in any case. Thank you. All right, Raina? I mean, 
I mean, I don't have a re- I don't have a rebuttal for that. I mean, I I I just don't even I don't even know where to begin with that. Like, I I don't necessarily agree with it, um, especially like having one or- umbrella organization. Um, I mean, you have organizations that suit. I mean, not all black people are not a monolith. Like, I don't want us to be treated like a monolith. There are some people, you know, who are going to be you know, who are going to gravitate to some of the things that black skeptics group are doing. And there are some people who, honestly, we wouldn't want involved in black skeptics group or, you know, the things that we're doing. I mean, we're, we're looking to have solutions that are also inclusive of people who are not just religiously diverse, but, you know, people who are, you know, LGBT, QIA, you know, um, we're looking to involve people at different class levels. You know what I mean? But not everybody Promote is, more women. Right, to promote more women, obviously. You know what I mean? And so we're, you know, you know, not everybody is going to want to be under, a, you know, one umbrella organization. Plus, I think, you know, what we were talking about earlier in terms of with Tika and patriarchy and all of that sort of stuff, um, we have to remember, like, a lot of organizations during the black civil rights movement, you know, were um, – were geared towards, you know, sort of male leadership and an idea of what um, the needs in the black community are or were that focused almost entirely on the needs of black men um, to the exclusion of, of things like that we're dealing, that black women deal with, like sexism right. or, um, you know, workplace discrimination, you know, that kind of stuff. So um, I think we have to... Um, Remember that, and that's all I have to say about that. I kind of okay. disagree with you, and I want to ask a question on, on that. Um, because my, my experience is that black America is really pro-female. It's, it's really from the churches on the... No, it I mean, isn't. I, 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 let me finish. Let me all finish. right, go ahead. It, uh, even in the church, we don't have several churches. We don't have black male empowerment, we have female empowerment situations. And even across the uh, – well, anyway, I'm just going to ask my question and, and get out the way. So if you believe that it's mostly male-pushed, uh, uh, can you explain why uh, the males do far less in black America and the females do far greater just that question? Far less and far greater in terms of what? Everything. Education. Everything. Economic. Okay, that, well, really? that's not even true in everything. But um, in any case, can you explain to me why black women are three times more likely to be, to be the victims of domestic violence? Can you explain you, to me why black women are, so are, are more likely? Can you explain? No, I'm not avoiding the question. I'm ex- asking. You're a asking question. me a question. Rebecca, What's the question? This, no, excuse me, Q. I've been very respectful of you so far. So no, you haven't. Okay. No, you haven't. In, any case, <laughs> in any case, answer the question. Is there, is there I'm some, not going to ask the question. What is the reason? What is the reason? What, sir, sir, sir. What is the reason <laughs> that black women are three times more likely to be the victims of domestic violence? What is the reason why black women and, and other women of color are much more likely to be the victims of sexual violence? Can you explain that to me? Would you like to, would you like to, would you like to tell me, since we're doing so much better and the black community is so geared towards black women, why those things are true? It's true because in every culture, 
of of where females are present, Jewish, Indians, which I'm part Indian. You have every culture where that is true of Indians. Let me speak about India and answer your question since you avoided mine. It happens in the Indian culture, the Native American culture, drastically much so. It is an evil, nasty thing. Now, can you but, answer but my question, please? But the community is supposed to be so much more female-driven and, and so much more about women in the black community. You're making a statement. And I'm asking you to answer the question. three times more likely to be the victims of domestic violence, and you can't explain that. We've already agreed on, we've already agreed on that, and I explained yeah, that. Yeah, but you just finished saying the black community is so pro-woman. Where, where are black organizations? Okay, you don't want to answer the question. We're good. We're good. Where are the organizations that promote these issues? Where are the black organizations that combat these issues? Where are the national campaigns? Since this community is so black-driven and so so black woman-driven and so about black women. Can you Um, ask me? Okay, hang on. The the fact that his question, he does have a valid point in many ways. Um, Our society is male-dominated, sadly, and it's based on Judeo-Christian principles from Abrahamic religions. But even excluding that, in many African societies, there's male domination. The fact that we have and that, that makes it is okay. not no, but sister, that's let me just ask you okay, didn't, so, have, I so didn't if, say it was so okay. If the, if the community sister, is so black-woman-oriented, black then why are these things not being addressed by our black leadership? Sister, that is the I point say, of the question. Y'all are, y'all are not understanding sister, why I brought that up. It just sailed over your head. It's not over our heads. Heads. Please, please. Sister, can I say I don't support that system? You're taking the position that because I say it exists means that I agree with it. I'm okay, not. I, I didn't think say it, that you agree with it. I'm saying I said, I said does that make it okay? I didn't say that you agreed with it. I'm quite sure atheism teaches so, politeness. Yeah, see, we, unless we are able to address these issues honestly, and, and that's what I'm asking you to do is to address them honestly. If this that's community is so about black women, where are the national campaigns? Why aren't we dealing with the fact that black women are three times more likely to be the victims of domestic violence? It is because well, we, this, in this community we have a, 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 a culture of silence around domestic violence. We have a culture that tells us that we don't want to put another black man in the system so that black women are supposed to be silent when they're getting their asses kicked. That is why. In a conversation, everybody speaks. That's actually, let me, I'll be brief. Um, The problem is she is correct. That's what I'm saying. This problem is not only are you correct, but also that is a part of the problem. We take our own male situation, female situation, and rather than looking at it as we are all in this together, we then become divided. If we look at it as the causes of the problems, not the brothers that are not being good men, and say, well, why are these black men being such violent fools in many cases? Then we can address the issue. But, but that, if we but think see, that none black of that has anything to do substantively with, the problem, with that then what happens is we're divided. About the community being black female oriented. That's bullshit. Black men have, high, have more net worth than black women do. We often put more money into our families and into protecting um, those of us who are, you know, those of us in our families that are having financial issues than, than ourselves. Black women, we sacrifice, we suffer 
for the black community. And the black community doesn't even do anything for us in terms of the addressing these issues that black women face. I, I want to like let me, let me hang, hang on, hey guys. I want to I want to step in for a second. I just want to make my point on this too. Um, Q. So you mentioned that with, when it comes to black women, black women have a very high place in the black community. I think what should also be mentioned is that black women do hold a high place in certain parts of the black community, namely within the church. But it's only up to a certain point. And I will say that as the son and a kind atheist, by the way. So atheism does teach kindness and does teach patience. We just have a short fuse about certain subjects, so I'm just going to throw that out there. But as the son of a single mother who served on the Pentecostal and Baptist ministries for several years, one of the things that gets overlooked is that on the surface, black women hold a high position, but black women do get resistance frequently, not just from within the community, but also from within the church that they are said to hold a high position in. But they are really, even within the churches, they are still having First Timothy chapter 2, verses 12 thrown at them exactly. simply on biblical authority. Exactly. So it's not just this monolith where people are just saying, oh, well, black women are safe over here in this part. Exactly. I think what you're looking at is you're saying that black women hold a high position within the community and in the church, but it's only on the surface. What's really going on is that they've had to fight and actually claw for that position, and even then – they are very frequently being told that they are inferior and do not hold a high position because Jesus. And black women are often excluded from high leadership positions, even within the church to this day. Exactly. So, so my question is, and I'm glad, I'm glad Red, Red, Red brought that up. I'm, I'm not trying to be argumentative. I'm having a conversation. My, my question is to that. Okay. I'll meet you in the middle. Red. I agree with that. But my thing is, Numbers-wise, if you say that those women do not get held to that level, and maybe five of the guys do, 4,900 of the women are in some type of leadership uh, position, hypothetically. You're making up numbers. You're making, you're making up numbers. We're not, we're not going to address hold on, hold on, hypotheticals. Let me make a point. We're, we're we're not addressing hypotheticals. No. Okay. If we're you know, not let me address, hypotheticals, let me address what he's okay, talking so, about. Let me address. So if you're not addressing hypotheticals, can someone address the conversation that 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 I put to the floor that uh, Red just addressed? Since we're not addressing hypotheticals. Well, again, I'm going to address it, Q. I'm going to address it, and then we're going to bring Mike into the conversation. And the dial-in number is 310-982-4273. We seem like we're going to go into overtime. We have seven minutes left, so if you want to hear the overtime, you got to call it in, 310-982-4273. Do not push one if you don't want to talk. If you want to talk, press one. Anyway, to address what Q is saying, so, you know, he's he's talking about when he goes to the church and he You'll see these women in so-called positions of authority, like, you know, the head of the usher board or the head of the food pantry, um, you know, on the evangelist or on the missionary team. And let me tell you, I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there because I was raised in it and I was a part of it. It's a trick. Right. It's a trick. The reason why T.D. Jakes rose to power as quickly and as strongly as he did was because he was addressing women's issues. 
Not that they really truly wanted to deal with the women's issues, but what he was doing was placating women in the church. Now, this is the thing. It's all about money. They put those women in these so-called leadership positions so that it will attract the other women in the church because the majority of the congregants are female. The majority, I believe 80% of the congregation in most cases are women. And so, you know, women will take some direction from other women, but at the end of the day, that pastor is still male. The assistant pastor is still male. They still use the scriptures to enforce patriarchy. They'll start quoting from Paul about, you know, women are not supposed to be in a pulpit. They're not supposed to be teaching men. But, again, you know, even when you're part of those particular ministries, so this usher board or the kitchen crew or whatever, these people, they're working for free. These are women giving away their services, intellectual property for free while that man is profiting. And right. that woman holds that position as long as she is in good with the pastor, in his good favor. But at the end of the month, everybody has to pay their membership fees. A lot of people don't realize that you have to pay a fee every month to be in a choir. You have to pay a fee every month to be an usher. All this money is coming from women. If it were not for women, these churches would not be functional. So they give them a few leadership positions to basically appease people, but they really have no power because at the end of the day, the pastor will overrule everything. If you are not in good favor with him, you will not, you know, uh, you will not basically be um, promoted. Because if you notice, most of the businesses that the pastor, you know, tells the, the congregation about are usually businesses owned by his cronies, owned by his friends. If you go to the majority of these churches, the people that are profiting the most is the pastor and his cronies. And this is why they also tell these same women to not date outside of that particular church. You know, if you're going over here to ABC Kojic, they want you to find a husband within that church. Why? Because they're promoting more men. It's these men finding more women that can take care of whatever needs that they feel that they may have. It's a trick. It's a mm. trick. Mm-hmm. All right, Mike, let's pull Mike into the conversation. Hey, Mike, from Queens. Yeah, shalom, brothers and sisters. How you doing? My name is Mike. I'm from Queens, New York. I was listening to the conversation. Um, I wanted to address uh, what the sister was saying before about, you know, all the, the sexual crimes that's been going on against, you know, black women. Because she, she's, very, she's very true on that. There's a lot of rapes and stuff that don't go um, unchecked in our community. No one seems to be saying nothing about it. And, you know, I just want to say that, you know, the, 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 the problem of why that is, because first of all, this is first and foremost, because we're talking about religion, the brothers and sisters in our community just don't have any moral standards. They don't. The church, the black church, to me, the black Christian church is the most destructive thing in our society, period. Why? Because a lot of times, in a lot of different churches, not saying all of them, but the majority of them don't teach the Bible the way it's supposed to talk. They don't. What they do is they go into the into the, the to the New Testament and talk about, oh, because Christ died on the cross, that you're covered from all uh, uh, damning things that you may do. So you can rape somebody today, and it's okay because Christ died, but you're, you're going to get grace. You're still going to go to heaven. Now, does that make sense to you? No, it doesn't. 
okay? So first of all, we don't have any more because we think we covered by quote-unquote Christ, the white Jesus Christ, to come and save us. That's a bold-faced lie. They need to really tell the real story and start, start reading the Bible, start reading the book, and quit hitting that tambourine on your leg every five seconds. That's first of all. The second off is you have to understand that a lot of things that was, that was uh, going on in the black community today wasn't going on 50 years ago. You know why? Because the eldership of the black men were there in that community. So there was no such thing as brothers, these little teenage brothers that, that control these neighborhoods now, these little thug dudes walking around. There was no such thing as them controlling the neighborhood because the elder brothers were there back in the day to tell them young boys to get the hell in the house when it was time to get the hell in the house. Okay? There was order and leadership in our community. And what happened was because the, 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 the racist white society in America didn't want us to be in control of our own home, they kicked the brothers out. Okay? That's what the whole world, well, uh, the welfare system and the prison industrial complex was to do. It was a lock up of brothers that was not afraid to stand up for the community and to fight against white racism that was affecting particularly cities like Chicago, L.A., New York, okay? We was up there and we was being fathers in our homes back then, and they didn't like that. They did not like the fact that out of all the things they could do to black people, they could not break up the black family. So they had to destroy that. So they found trumped-up charges. They got a lot of brothers locked up, brothers that didn't do anything. There's brothers right now sitting behind bars. They ain't sold no drugs. The only crime that they did was tell a white cop that you can't beat on me, and they slapped them back. That's the only crime. So we need to understand that they broke up the community infrastructure by breaking up the family. That's why there's no morals in the household, because there's no one to lay down law. That's why men are important in our community. Not knocking the system. I was raised by a single mom. She did the best that she could. But when it came down to it, I'm glad that I had an older brother because she taught me how to be a man. A woman, I'm sorry, a woman just couldn't do that for me. She could tell me what she could expect from me as a man, but she can't tell me how to be one. I need to find that out from my brother. So it's important to have both in the family. It's like a yin and a yang. So when they took out the yin, all we had was some yang. You feel me? We didn't have the other side to it. That's why we got these over-feminine dudes walking around. They overly feminine. You see you say something, they're ready to cry to drop the hat. Brother, I'm not trying to step on your toes. I'm just trying to give you some information to help. Don't get all offensive. Don't get all feminine on you But wait, me? wait, 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 wait. We got to we gotta roll it back a little bit. I mean, you're talking about effeminate men, and I guess, you know, my thing is, is that why can't people just be themselves? I mean, you know, <laughs> I don't even know where to start. I don't even know where to start here. Um, you ain't finna get nowhere with this one, I promise you. Okay. I mean, it's the truth. I mean, yeah. look around you. These dudes, these dudes act like yeah. girls. As soon as you say something to them, they want to go grab. Hold on. As soon as you say something to these brothers out here, they want to go and grab a gun and shoot you. You really gonna let this continue? Okay. They want to go and grab a gun and shoot you because you said something to them that. All right. 
Pretending as if there were black men who are raised up in gangs that did have both parents in the home who were perhaps drug dealers themselves. So this is not a problem of single mothers and not doing enough because I am also a man who was raised by a single mother and who actually had men in his life despite the fact that his father, who was a Pentecostal bishop who left my home and I still turned out Pretty damned good. This notion, this notion that men are somehow the protectors of morality is just a bunch of patriarchal bullshit. You know what I mean? And that's just real. You know? And, you know, I was trying to be fair and let him say his point, and I was, you know, I'm still a little baffled. Um, there's so much to address there, and we've talked about some of these issues of sexism, um, homophobia, and, and see what he doesn't seem to understand is when he says that these men, you know, are acting women, that he's putting women down. Exactly. While at the right. same time, attempting to uplift women. Right. And um, it's such a mixed message. Right. It's such a but not just that. Um, he's also putting women into a box. Like you know, the women can only do these things over here in the house. You know what I mean? While, right, right. Whereas, men, whereas men, you know, we're, you know, we need to take care of the community and whatnot. Like women don't have some something to offer leadership. You know exactly. what I mean? And that's why, and that's why I'm saying that the 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 Black Civil Rights Movement was primarily a male-driven, male patriarchal mo- movement. And the writing from that from that time demonstrates this. If you look at what women wrote during that time, and even what some of the men wrote themselves, even Huey Newton recognize right. how patriarchal now Huey Newton was problematic as hell you know let's not just right. you know let's not make him out to be some sort of feminist hero but you know at least he was able to recognize that the movement was patriarchal as hell and that it was exclusionary to you know a lot of women and and not just women but gay men and and gay women right. you know so exactly. exactly and for those that aren't familiar you know the civil rights movement and in particular, the March on Washington was organized by a gay man, an older exactly. gay man, in mm-hmm. the 60s, which was and very honest, and, and to be honest, Kim, we don't know how many of our former leaders, you know, male exactly. and you know, male and female, were gay or lesbian because we lived we lived in a we lived in a time back then where you couldn't really be open, and to be openly gay was was in a lot of ways to a bit to being um to to being party to a crime. You could be a right. right. And then when you and when you add that when you add the aspect of being openly gay and black, I mean that's a double shot to, exactly. to your right. integrity in the public. You exactly. know, and you know, when we talk about we're, we're t- when when the gentleman was going on about like, you know, how, you know, men are acting like females out here as if having a feminine side is supposed to be a bad thing or being sensitive to a certain point is to be a bad thing. It's not the sensitivity in and of itself. It's how it's actually applied. And, right, and, and right. not just that, but it's just, it just it, that, whole, that whole macho attitude is part of why we have a lot of men who can't cope with life and turn to alcoholism and drug abuse and violence in order to deal with their problems. Right. Because you we're know? told that we can't be emotional. 
Exactly. Exactly. And emotion, and and emotion is femininity. Right. right. Emotion is femininity, and it's not the same thing because we're human beings. Right. You know, and, like, the whole thing about that, and let me just say, too, that femininity in men is a trait that can happen whether you have one parent in the home or two parents in the home. It's not as if there are not young gay black men and women who are also not raised in two-parent households and were subsequently kicked out of these households because they were gay and it went against the Bible and the Quran as if Christianity is the only thing that has infected our black community. Right, and let's not pretend that a lot of women and, and men are getting raped in a lot of these in a lot of these churches and religious institutions, like that's not a thing. You know, black men and women are getting raped in mosques. They're getting raped in churches. You know what I mean? So let's not pretend like, you know, just by virtue of you believing in a higher power, that that means that you don't commit, that people in your, you know, religious view don't commit crimes. You know what I mean? It it takes more than that. It takes Um, more than some prayer. And then, then, um, when it comes to the whole morality issue, um, this is, to me, like, this is my favorite topic to talk about because the thing about morality is that you can talk all you want. It is going to be subjective at the end of the day, and subjectivity up to a certain point is a damn good thing. It's not about morals. It's about how do you apply the principle of harm versus health across the board to accommodate all people in whichever way you actually can. And the problem is that all religion, not just Christianity, but all religion gets this wrong. They think that morality has to be this fixed point that works this one way throughout all cultures at all times, and that's not the case. And, you know, saying all of that to say this, and this time around... The women are not going to allow the men to push them to the side as far as the leadership in the community is concerned. Um, We have to have women at the table. You know, um, women have to, you know, have a voice. They have to have a say-so because, again, I've said this in the past, and I mean it, you know, with women, if you educate a woman, you've educated the family. And that is true because that woman is going to turn around and teach those children and share with the husband or the spouse or the mate or the significant other or what have you. Um, And so it's just, it's really interesting, but no, you know, this new phase of the civil rights movement, you know, which I believe that we're on that path right now, um, we have to have women part of the leadership, women at the table, you know, um, men at the table, of course, I'm not excluding men, you know, but I'm talking about women in particular. And the main thing is, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a woman that has the alphabet behind her last name. You know, and I just find it interesting, you know, how they hold women to a higher accord, a higher standard than they do some men. But, um, you know, what Raina was talking about as far as the, you know, that last leg of the civil rights movement and how, you know, patriarchal it was. Yeah, because basically the women that were part of the feminist movement were told that they had a choice and that they couldn't participate in both, that they had to either be a part of the the um, black power movement 
or the feminist movement, and many of the women went over to the black power movement because they were fed false promises that they would be, you know, the next on the itinerary. Right. Right. But not just that, though. I was going to say, but not just the the later part of the civil rights movement. It was it was pretty much the entire civil rights movement from slavery on. Because if you oh, look yeah. at history, a lot of the a lot of the women's um, clubs, there were a lot of women's clubs that you know were formed. You know during um, during you know close to the end of slavery and throughout the early twentieth century, and they were very politically active. Ida B. Wells was a member of of, of I think several. You know, um, Maria Stewart and a lot of other women were. And uh, they got a lot of pushback from a lot of black men in the community who felt that they ought to be at the helm of all political action and that black women were, um, would serve best in the home, you know, um, raising children and, and, and making meals. Um, and so a lot of times those women were even slut-shamed for right. being out in public. So, you know, you can go look that up too. So. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's been interesting. It's been interesting. And, you know, what you said is, you know, absolutely true. And you, we have to do a show about slut shaming and explaining. I mean, we've talked about it on numerous occasions, but, um, Again, let's just try to bring it back to center. You know, you know, leadership in the black community. It's time for a change. The game has changed. Our thinking has to change. You know, we have to approach this um, from a different standpoint because, you know, people are already aware of how we once approached these issues. So they're waiting for that. And if we want to keep their attention, if we want to make any real progress, we're going to have to look at this a little bit differently, and we're going to have to push for a change um, in policies, um, education, you know, opportunities. There's a lot. There's a lot that needs to be addressed. But before we can address that, we have to acknowledge um, what's been happening and, and where the deficits are. And, you know, that's where these conversations come into play. We have to figure out who our allies are, our real allies, you know, the ones that we can trust and the ones that, you know, understand how their, you know, privilege affords them the opportunity to, you know, in a lot of cases, step on black people. Because there are a lot of people that have stepped on the black community and stepped on the white, I'm sorry, stepped on black people to succeed. And it happens way too often, and we have to address that. But leadership in the black community, as far as I'm concerned, at this point we have none. We have people up here who are self-appointed leaders, and, you know, I can honestly say Al and Jesse, they don't speak for me. They just don't. So, um, you know, any last words there, Red? Um, My last words are, that it is time for us to really consider that as long as we live here in America, we are going to have to start slowly but surely reevaluating our place in society and to start making steps within the community to try to better our place one day at a time. And as long as we do that, as long as we don't give up hope, 
that we as Americans can live freely, um, then we can do what we need to do to do it, and we have to for our children and our grandchildren. That's what I got. All right, Raina? Um, <laughs> oh, man. Um, all I can say, really, is that um, we have got to get past this notion that black women have had it so much better than black men. Um, we have got to dispense with that so that we can understand that um, black women have also suffered and that um, largely our suffering goes um, unaddressed and um, that a lot of our problems are common problems, but we also have to deal with the fact that we have, have got to address issues like sexism and homophobia within our communities because we, all, we can't be free unless we're all free. You know, there's no yeah. scenario. There's no scenario in which we can free heterosexual black males, and everybody else is just gonna be okay. You know what I mean? We right. just, exactly. It's just not possible. So. Exactly. And again, you know, we need to come to the table to have a dialogue, and you know, an honest dialogue, to, Kim. Sorry. <laughs> Right, yeah, and yeah, an honest dialogue, and you know, there are some people that do not know or understand. You know, we had um, I'm on Twitter a lot more nowadays than I have been in the past. Reading, I don't do a lot of tweeting. Well, my links, but um, and all of that is with an application. Um, there was this one young man, and he was saying how paternalistic he was, and you know, um, where his mindset was, and he said what changed him is he was checked by, you know, some women, and he started reading books by, you know, female scholars. And, I mean, I believe it's education needed on all of our behalf, but with some of the comments that were made earlier, you know, what I would suggest is when they get a chance, check out some bell hooks, um, you can check out some Angela Davis. You can check out some Kimberly Crenshaw. And there are a number of different people. Just go, you know, get out of your comfort zone and read something written by some black female scholars to kind of understand where we're coming from. You know, we got Dr. Hutchinson. Um, yeah, we we some of the, you know, the lack of education or lack of information is what gets us in trouble. And, you know, the unfortunate part about it is we have to address those issues before we can even get to the nucleus of the real issue. Right. You know, and right. that kind of sets back a little bit as well. But, again, you know, it's for the common good of all. So, a lot of work that needs to be done, a lot of education, um, a lot of progress can be made, but in order to make some of that progress, you know, we're going to have to go back and unlearn some of the things that we've learned. Um, can't unsee what you've seen, but we can at least try to show you a different perspective. Right. And so, again, yeah. moving forward, moving forward, moving forward. And part of so it, I was going to say, part of it. And I got to throw this in there, Kim, and you're going to laugh at me. And part of it is not calling, not calling out people for being pimps while promoting other pimps. 
Just throwing that out there. Exactly. And actually, I find it. I find it ironic, too, that the Muslim gentleman wants to rail on about how badly we teach the Bible, but you fuck all that religion. I think he was Jewish. I think he was a, I think he might have been one of those Hebrew Israelites, because he said Shalom when he got on the line. So, oh, okay. Yeah. I thought he said Inshallah. Oh, he might have. I don't know. Some of these folks are confused. I'm just going to throw that out there. So. <laughs> yeah, but, like, all these, like, you know, all these... Hebrew Israelites, the Hotep folks, the Christians, the Muslims. Um, as far as I'm concerned, let's get all these holy books out of the way of the conversation because the biggest thing, thing that I regret is that a lot of these leadership positions are taken over by people that don't give a damn about this world anyway because they're going to go to eternity in heaven. Right, right. So why should they care about the black community because Jesus is going to come back and burn down everything anyway. So who cares about this? They're on their way to heaven. And that's the biggest problem that I have with a lot of the black leaders too, is that they're just, they're not even thinking about how to improve this earth. They're not thinking about how to improve this country because they don't give a damn about this earth or this country. They care about their souls. And, um, as far as I'm concerned, that's just missing the point. But even more than that, um, I, I just have to say that um, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to start with us. It's going to start with educating ourselves. It's going to start with educating um, our families and our friends about what the issues actually are. And I'm going to throw some books out there myself. I know Kim had a couple of book recommendations from Dr. Hutchinson. I'm also going to throw out um, Candace Gorham's The Ebony Exodus Project, um, especially for the gentleman that was – I think Q was mentioning how great black women have it within church communities and within black communities. Anybody that believes that, go and read that book just to see how much of a complete lie that statement actually is. Okay. Um, so, like I would I said, recommend... Oh, go ahead, Kim. Sorry. No, Randy, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I'd also throw in, um, you know, read, um, you know, all um all of the blacks are men, all of the women are white, but some of us are brave. You know, that'll give you some perspective on some of the issues that black women were dealing with during the latter part of the black civil rights movement. Um, I would also recommend, um, you know, reading, you know, some Angela Davis, um, you know, read some bell hooks. I would recommend reading, um, you know, I, I guess that's a really good place to start, but I definitely would recommend uh, Godless Americana, and um, you know, and some of the other books that you know we post on the on the wall from time to time. So, right, and you can even pick up Home Girls, a Black Feminist Anthology. That's a really mm-hmm. good one too. Mhm. Yeah. Oh, and so Words of Fire. Big. That's a good one too. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, I mean, you know, we're giving you some recommendations so that you can, I mean, we're not saying that you have to agree with it, because there are a lot of things that I read that I don't agree with it, but this is how someone feels, this is their perspective. And in order to have, like I said, a solid counter um, argument is to know and somewhat understand, you know, what the other party is saying. You know, you you can listen to someone else's opinion without agreeing with. It. So, 
familiar with him you know he's been in the news several times you know behind um a lot of different things you know dealing with you know immigration and racism and whatnot but um apparently his department has received money from this uh, 1033 program and um apparently they were suspended because they had lost some of the equipment they you know they failed to keep track of it and now it, they've um, actually come up missing with nine additional firearms since they were suspended. Mm. So my question, so my question is, is why isn't there some kind of like protocol where, where people who are lose track, where where, where you know departments that lose track of this, of these um, military, you know surplus items, don't have to give back all of that crap. If they lose, if they lose track of even one piece, you know what I mean? Because who are these things finding their finding? Who are these items finding their way to? You right, know, right. and and I have some ideas about who they might be finding their way to, particularly down in Maricopa County. You know, given hmm. you know, given given some of the you know things that we've seen about you know vigilante groups, you know, patrolling the you know the border. 
you know, right. and some of these militias, because some some police officers are involved in some of these militias now, you know, and some of and these militias, yeah. I'm sorry, and the Klan, and some of these, and some of these, you know, blatant white supremacist groups, you know, so it's just something to think about. I mean, some of this military surplus gear is probably finding its way into um, some of these, you know, gun shows. Where you can just mm-hmm. buy this stuff and take it home, no, no background check, you know, no nothing, no, you don't have to register it or anything, you know. Well, yeah, and I, the the key the key to a lot of that, honestly, is just the fact that um, this whole situation in Ferguson has basically opened up the door for people to simply be honest. You know, a lot of the white racist communities are now showing us who they really are. And it, they basically completely debunk the notion that we live in any kind of post-racial society. Mm-hmm. Post-racialism is for the person that wants to keep their eyes closed. Right. Right. Yeah. So. Yep, exactly. And so, again, you know, if anybody says to you that they're post-racial or colorblind, just understand that they are basically saying to you that they don't recognize the problem, they don't recognize the issues that you've been being to been bringing to the forefront. They don't recognize it, and by being colorblind or post-racial, that gives them the authority to be oblivious to what's happening. Which is which goes back to something Red Ninja said earlier. You know, they don't have to think about it. They can deny it or say, "Who cares?" and We've given them the authority to say that when we acknowledge this so-called colorblind or post-racial um, society that we allegedly live in. Stop saying that. I've heard black people saying, I don't see color. Yes, the hell you do. You know, we're still dealing with colorism in our community. So if we're right. dealing with colorism in our community. You know you sure as hell, you know, are dealing with black and white issues. And so, I mean, you know, we have to approach this differently. And, you know, something that I find ironic, that one particular, you know, we have people out here appropriating our messages. And if you're listening to this podcast, yeah, I know you're appropriating it. I pay attention to what you're posting and what you're doing. And, you know, what I find, you know, humorous or amusing is with one particular person, who was giving us a hard time about, quote, unquote, social justice. Now that's all they're talking about. And what I find even more ironic is one of their so-called heroes or whatever um, has been silent on Ferguson, but yet they're talking about it. I just find all of that ironic. Find it ironic. Anyway... That was just a little side note. I had to get that off my chest. All right, y'all. We're out of here. You all have a great weekend. This is Kim with Black Freethinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you guys. I'm going to post some more links on my wall, and I'm opening it to the public, so you can just go over to facebook.com slash blackfreethinkers. Um, I had to change my name on there, so it says Kimberly Black Freethinkersville. Okay, so it says, but the the way to get directly to me, facebook.com slash blackfreethinkers with an S, all one word. And if you want to send me an email, you can send that to blackfreethinkers at gmail.com. 
Again, blackfreethinkers at gmail.com. Warning, you send me nonsense, I'm either not going to respond or I'm going to respond with more nonsense. Okay? All mm-hmm. right. On that note, we are out of here. You all have a great, lovely weekend, okay? All right. All right, you take care. Bye-bye.